Hello, and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast. I'm Logan Finney. This week, I speak with Kelsey Mosley-Morris of the Idaho Capital Sun, who's been covering issues in the state's child welfare system. Thanks for joining me, Kelsey. Good to be here. Thanks for asking me. So you've been covering this topic for a few months now. Can you give me a general overview of the issues you've been reporting on? Yeah, so this is um, something that came to our attention a couple months ago, or I guess three months ago, um, with somebody who kind of anonymously reported that there was a lot of issues going on in the child welfare division with social workers leaving and casework going up to the point that people just couldn't handle it anymore and they felt that, like they were going to lose their licenses if they kept trying to, to swim in these waters. And so I, I kind of started with uh, one story about just the shortage in general and how a lot of social workers have left and uh, that foster families as well are, are hard to recruit. They've, the pandemic has kind of exacerbated that problem with um, not being able to host recruitment events at the Department of Health and Welfare. So I just kind of started with that. And then um, I received like a, kind of a tidal wave of social workers contacting me after that saying, it is so much worse than even you know in that article because it kind of goes back to a, a redesign that they did last year. I think it was last year, 2019 where they changed a whole bunch of processes um, and how they do the casework. And the one social worker that I talked to who was really intimately involved with the whole process and like changing those business processes, he was part of that whole redesign. And he said the concept itself was not a problem. It was the fact that they wanted them to do all these extra things and to, to do all this extra work with the same amount of people or less that they'd already had. And so they were doing these safety assessments, which is when a social worker goes out after they receive a call about a child's safety and they go out to the house and interview uh, family members and try to find out if that is that child safe or not. And they did a lot of work to look at the hours that are involved in trying to assess that case and that safety. Um, and I think they, they overall decided that it was about eight hours on average per case. Um, and so, if you work that out to the, how many safety assessors they have, there's about, I think there's about four on staff now in Boise. And so if you get a certain amount of referrals per week, there's only so many hours that you can fudge. And at a certain point, people have to start cutting and um, cutting corners. And that's what people were really worried about is, I'm gonna go out and assess this child's safety if they're going to be okay or not. And I'm being pressured to like, call this call center and um, do it within a certain amount of time or I'm going to get a lot of pressure and flack for not meeting those metrics. And so, as you can see, it's a really complex, broad thing that took a lot of time to get my arms around. And um, I think that's part of why it's kind of gone under the radar is because it's a really difficult thing to wade through and really get your head around. But I'm glad that it's receiving so much attention now. For sure. And so these workflow changes were supposed to make the process easier and run smoother, but it's really run into hiccups and hurdles because of the lack of staffing. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, the redesign was initially meant to like decrease the, the case backlog because there was a lot of cases that were just open for almost a year. And that's a year that a family is like, I have this open CPS case and nothing's happening with it. And so rightfully those people should have something done about that and those cases normally from what i've heard from social workers a lot of them are routine things that um, 
don't require a bunch of time or energy to decide this is probably a fine situation, you know, something like a messy house or, you know, somebody, a neighbor misheard something, misinterpreted something, those kind of cases. And so those need to be quickly done. But if you've got a person doing a safety assessment and then they're also, um, case managers are taking on a lot of cases that um, are pretty complicated. And normally they're supposed to have like 10 to 12, I think is the national standard. And right now it's on average about 24. And that can be one case with like five children. And so it's not necessarily a one-to-one -one comparison. And um, so they've changed a lot of things with how case managers take that on and how they follow it through the courts and how supervisors are involved. And so there's just been a ton of business process changes and also the, I guess I should go into the central consult because safety assessors are being asked to call in their reports when they go and do safety assessments. Um, and the central consult is people who were safety assessors or case managers, they didn't hire new ones. So they used those people, moved them over, didn't replace those positions. And so that took away more people from those teams. And then they're asking them to do it within five days or 10 days to have those cases closed. Um, and I saw a lot of emails and a lot of back and forth between supervisors and people higher up than that too about numbers and they were pushing numbers. Um, we need to make sure you've got this many cases in the green, you've got this many cases in the red, um, you need to be making those changes. And when it comes to like child safety, it's not really something you should be like pushing on the numbers. Like I, I understand what the concept was behind it and they did reduce their case backlog by about 70%, but you also have to balance that with the time and attention that a case requires and making sure that a kid is okay um, in a potentially dangerous situation. You referenced that this has been exacerbated a bit by the pandemic and by worker burnout in the department, but there have been known issues in the child welfare system in Idaho for years, dating back to a report in 2017 from the Office of Performance Evaluations. Can you talk a bit about that and what uh, the legislative committee and the citizen panels that came out of that effort? Yeah, the 2017 report was a little more focused on the foster care system itself. Um, and so it didn't quite focus as much on the social workers aspect, but they did kind of determine that the whole system in general was you know, understaffed and um, overworked. And so um, one of the recommendations that they had was to create a legislative panel, which was, I think it's called the Child Protection Oversight Committee. Child um, Protection Legislative Oversight Committee. Yes. <laughs> Lots of acronyms to yes. keep a track of. And it's, it's kind of a special committee that is just kind of standing now um, that is bipartisan and it has um, House and Senate members on it. And they just kind of meet periodically to hear from um, people in the community who work in this space and also from the citizen review panels, which are, I think there's one in every region. Um, the health districts have regions across the state and the citizen review panels are made up usually of volunteers, people who, the ones that I know of are um, guardian ad litems, which are representatives for the court um, who represent the children that are in these cases. And then people who kind of volunteer for the foster care system in general and um, just kind of sitting with kids when they get brought in for foster care. Um, and so those people are kind of, you know, the, the pulse on that community. So they kind of act as liaisons to the department, to the legislature. And one of the things that they talked to me about was they have had in their reports for a couple of years now, 
all these concerns about how things were going and um, how social workers were doing and how a lot of really good social workers were leaving. And um, so they, they put all of that in their reports and they were like, these need to be addressed. And that they were frustrated because the department kept coming back with just kind of policy lines and not really addressing what was actually happening and wanting to do anything about it from this from the sounds of it yeah that's what i got from your story was the the legislative oversight committee met in december and heard from these citizen review panels and it seemed pretty dire like they were saying that circumstances on the on the ground are getting really bad and uh we don't feel like the department of health and welfare is listening to us and responding to those concerns is that is that what you heard as well yeah and one of the things that they were really concerned about was how many safety referrals they were seeing per child before anything was done. When they're called out to those scenes um, or those houses, you know, th they were getting called multiple times before a kid was taken in for care. And so that that's really alarming to people who are like, this kid is staying in an abusive situation because there's nowhere to put them, basically, is what they're kind of inferring. Um, and they've had multiple issues over the last six or eight months with finding places to to take kids because of the shortage of foster care families and so they've been putting kids in airbnbs across town and letting them stay there for 10 days two weeks and that's really disruptive to those kids and they're staying with other foster kids who they don't know being pulled out of their family homes and just they have no answers for what's going to happen next I've heard that they're like eating out every day and just kind of, it's very unstable for them. Kind of the frustration there is we have these kids who this is like a emergency and nobody seems to be doing anything. Um, and then when I talked to the Department of Health and Welfare, it, I'm not gonna say that it was the same, I didn't have the same feeling for them. And I do think that they genuinely care and they, they want to help as much as they can, but I think there's a disconnect between the staff and um, the department heads because there seemed to be a lot of fear of retaliation from um, the department. If anybody said anything that was out of line or not being a team player. Um, and so I think that has caused a lot of problems with getting that message through. And even social workers who said, in my exit interview, I told them all of this, like I've been sounding this alarm for years and they couldn't have not known that this was going on. And so it seems like either that message isn't going further enough to the top or um, they also just don't have a lot of resources to, to do a lot of action on it. And so that's what people are hoping the legislature will kind of try to fix is some of that action that the legislature could take. Child Protective Services is always a touchy topic at the legislature. It's it's a big deal when a, a government agent is coming into someone's home and evaluating whether, you know, the long and short of it, whether your kids should be taken away. And so that's that's always a, a tough topic for legislators to tackle. Right. But you have to balance that with the welfare of the child. If a child is in a legitimately dangerous and abusive situation, it's it's not good for them to stay there. These issues are kind of, you, re, you said they're kind of compounding issues. So there's mm -hmm. shortage of social workers who are managing these cases and checking on the children. And then if a child does have to be taken um, for their own safety, there's a shortage of places to place them with the foster parents. Um, so it's this, this big hairy problem. Um, 
how much of it is related to the pandemic and how much of it is just kind of the status quo has been broken for a while? That's actually something that I heard from a lot of different people was don't let them blame this on the pandemic because it's kind of an easy thing to hide behind right now. Um, and there are certain things that are attributable to the pandemic. I think the labor market's really hard because of all the things that have happened. But this all started cooking back in 2019 before the pandemic. Um, and that was something I heard over and over again was like, this has been a slow moving disaster for three years now. If you look back at the 2017 report, uh, they were saying 55 to 75 social workers were needed then. Um, additional social Additional workers. social workers were needed for that department in order to like really tackle the, the problems that were there. And so that was 2017. And since then we had, I think, 100,000 people move into this area and they've added 24 since then. So about half of what was recommended. Yeah, barely. And I think 2019 or 2020 is when they added a six of them and they split them between Boise, um, like the Canyon County area and Twin Falls. And that was six of them between those three areas. So they're right that this has been a longstanding issue. And part of the problem with the legislative portion of it is the, it sounds like the Department of Health and Welfare, I didn't ask them this directly, but it's hard to go in front of the legislature and ask for a lot more positions, especially when there's a lot of reticence to add government and uh, to spend more money on things. And especially last year, the Department of Health and Welfare was under a very big microscope oh, yeah. with pan the pandemic. So all of that has added in to that. And you can't really blame them for being like, we want to ask for as few as possible to really get what we need. And the point that a lot of other people I talked to have said is ask for more than you need and then see what you get back, you know. And so I think there's a balance between what people want to do politically to keep the peace and what they should be doing for their people. And so now it's the 2022 legislative session where a new budget setting process, JFAC, just started this week. Um, I've seen that health and welfare is requesting a higher number of social workers than they have in years past and um, that the governor's recommended, recommended budget actually even goes beyond that. Can you walk me through those details? So they had planned on asking for 10 social workers and three psychosocial rehabilitation specialists, which is a long word for somebody who kind of does the, the admin aspects of casework. Um, they don't necessarily have a, like a social worker license, but they can do... Um, case notes and they can make phone calls and they can kind of help manage those cases. Um, and they usually have like a social services kind of degree that's related. When I talked to the Department of Health and Welfare back in December, that was their plan. And to hear the governor propose 21 is more than double, obviously, what, what they'd actually asked for. And so when I talked to people who I talked to for that story before, they were like, oh, that's a great step in the right direction. I mean, we still need more reforms in terms of I think a lot of support for foster families and um, the support that they get from social workers and that they're not getting right now because social workers are so overloaded. Um, so that can definitely help with that. But when I talk to um, someone else with the, the social worker sphere, they're like, we've needed 55 since 2017. So that's still a drop in the bucket. And when you're looking at a $1.9 billion surplus, seems like you should probably be able to do some a little more than that. And so it was kind of a 
soft bigotry of low expectations, I think, where people were like, oh, that's more than double. That's great. But also we're really far behind. And it's a little bit echo of the education problem where, yes, we're putting all this money into education, but we're still far behind where we were supposed to be four years ago. So I think that's that's the trouble that this session will will provide. And we'll see um, when the Department of Health and Welfare comes to the JFAC meeting to actually make their request what what is said by the legis those legislators because in years past they've actually gotten questions about like this doesn't seem like enough like when she proposed the six they were like i've heard a lot of people talk about how you need more than that so why aren't you asking for more than that and i think the goal of the redesign was to make it so they didn't need as many staff and think i think that was the hope all along was that the redesign would eventually start working the way that they wanted it to, and they wouldn't need 55 extra social workers. So, mm -hmm. And have you heard anything from lawmakers um, beyond budget issues? Have you heard if there are any policy changes kicking around this session? I have not. Um, I did ask yesterday at the Democratic News Conference um, if they had any more reforms in mind for, for extra training or support, and it didn't really sound like it. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I tried to talk to um, the chairwoman of the Child Protection Legislative Committee, um, Senator Abby Lee, uh, but she didn't respond because I thought she was going to do a January meeting as well of that of that committee. But maybe they're working on some other things in the background and they're trying to get that ready before other things start getting moving. I don't know. We'll see. But I think it'll be interesting to see if any of the former social workers or current social workers who have been so vocal to me if they actually come down to the legislature and say this is what's going on and you need to fix it because I think they've been really hesitant to do that before but it seems like they feel a little more empowered this time around to maybe get some face time with these legislators. And whether it's you know when we're budgeting whether it's enough money for six social workers or 10 or 21 or 55 money is one thing but it's another thing to actually hire professional experienced social workers. What are you hearing about actually in the field, the availability of, of workers who would be able to fill these positions? It's not great. <laughs> Just like every other sector right now, it's really difficult to find people, but I think there's other issues that I've been trying to work on about like the pipeline that they haven't really been investing in um, programs for students to be um, social workers. And there's been some difficulty with um, like the Boise State program has gone online in other places that might have had more engagement from people who wanted to be social workers. And so some of that training could probably be improved or, you know, some resources to that could help bring more people to the forefront. But even if they started now, that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't fill what's currently needed. Um, so they're also, I should have mentioned, they're increasing the base pay for the social workers by 7% as well, social uh, case managers and safety assessors on top of like the state CEC 5%. So that could be like a 12% raise for them. So that might help bring in some people um, or potentially if, you know, some of these issues were fixed and people had more confidence that things would change. I talked to several people who were like, I would go back. I just can't go back in this current environment because I loved the work, I loved what I was doing, I loved the difference that I made, and I'm not as happy in my current job, but I couldn't do it anymore. And so if they did fix some of these issues, maybe that would 
bring some people back to the fold and those people would already have the training and expertise to hit the ground running. But yeah, as far as what's actually out there for, they have something called a registry, like a state registry where people kind of have their applications ready to go if there are openings. And that's been virtually empty for quite a while now. So that's an issue. <laughs> I heard of a social worker last week in Caldwell who quit to go to Oregon because the pay was higher, basically. So the pay might might make a difference for some people. And we can talk about these government efforts and department efforts and legislative efforts all that we want, but really the, the bottom line that it comes down to is the outcomes for the children who need help. And so during the pandemic and even before that, what, what sort of uh, outcomes for children have been reported? It's interesting because I think when you saw schools close and uh, a lot of those places where children are um, watched a lot more closely, I think it was hard when everything shut down to have those people watching what happens to those kids and reporting it to CPS. And so you did see some reporting go down, allegations of abuse go down. But what I've seen in the, the numbers is that the severity of abuse has gone up and child deaths that have been reported from hospitals like St. Luke's have gone up pretty significantly. And that's what all these social workers are still afraid is going to keep happening, is children who are in dangerous situations and don't make it because they weren't caught soon enough. And so that's what's really scary for them. Um, there's not much that I can substantiate behind that, but those are the numbers. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard topic to cover. Yeah. Uh, so you'll keep covering this for the Idaho Capital Sun. We'll keep an eye on it at Idaho Reports. Uh, it's the, the beginning of the legislative session, so who knows what's going to happen. Um, but until then, what can regular people do? What can the average Idahoan who's not a government employee, who's not a foster parent, what can the regular person do to help with these issues? There are a lot of volunteer positions open um, with an organization that I talked to called Office Moms and Dads. They are responsible for going to help a, a kid who's just been removed from a home and is sitting in the Department of Health and Welfare's office waiting to be placed somewhere. Um, and all you do is just kind of sit with them and make them feel comfortable and maybe color with them or, you know, just keep them distracted so that they're not feeling scared and lonely. Um, and I know that they need volunteers. So um, Cindy Floyd, it's who I talked to for that. Um, people can look at the stories that I've written. Um, I think it was the first story that I wrote that had that information in there if you wanted to volunteer. There's also a high need for court-appointed advocates um, who help with um, children and when they're dealing with their foster cases. They always need more help in that arena. It's a pretty big time commitment, but if you have those kind of resources, then you should reach out to somebody and, and try to be part of that. Those are the two biggest areas I think people could help with, um, but there's always a need for money. And you know, if you wanna donate something monetarily or supplies wise for kids who need assistance. Um, I think there's always those programs that are available, but this is one of those topics that can feel a little more helpless for people if they don't have you know, space for a foster kid or things along those lines. Yeah, and if, if someone is interested in becoming a foster parent, 
these volunteer roles are a great way to dip your toes in the water yeah. before you take the full jump into a, committing to a child. Yeah, that was something Cindy said, um, that she started out as a volunteer and she became a foster parent like within, or she's been one for 17 years now. So that can be a way to, to get your feet wet. Great. Well, Kelsey Mosley-Morris with the Idaho Capital Sun, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho, by the Friends of Idaho Public Television, and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marcia Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.